the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 189. This is your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of May 29th through June 11th. We have a total of two books to cover and practically zero news whatsoever to cover. Um, so uh, let's just jump straight into the episode. So a very short amount of time has passed since the last time we recorded, but there hasn't really been a whole lot of news that's come out. We've had no solicitations. Uh, we don't have the sales numbers as of yet. Um Going forward for the next couple of months, I've talked to Terry, and he has said that uh, the sales numbers for the first couple of months of Rebirth are going to kind of just be a presentation of what the numbers are, not necessarily a comparison as they have been in the past, because there's too many series that are not debuting all at the same time um, to make it work. So by the time September numbers roll around, which would be in October, we should get back to the normal sales numbers as far as that goes. Um, but as, but outside of that, uh, as far as any other comic news that we have, uh, the only other one that we have is that there was a DC All Access video uh, that posted up with the, talking with Tom King about Batman Rebirth, which we're going to get to momentarily. Um, you can definitely check that out if you're interested in that. Outside of that, that's it. So we're going to just jump straight into our comic reviews and spend a little bit more time on listener Q&As later in the episode. So the very first thing we're going to talk about is Batman Rebirth. Batman Rebirth number one. Writers Scott Snyder and Tom King, artists Mikhail Janine, and colors June Chung. Monday, spring. Alfred picks an avocado, and Duke Thomas shows up at the Wayne Estate. Batman fights Calendar Man, who has released spores that may or may not be connected to The Last of Us, but will definitely kill everyone in the city. <clears throat> Batman chokes out Calendar Man and electrifies the spores, potentially destroying them or at least sending them into some sort of hibernation. Tuesday, summer, in the same week, people. Bruce Wayne meets with Lucius Fox to discuss business. It is 137 degrees, but Bruce continues to do one-armed pull-ups on the side of the helicopter pad. The important thing to note is that Bruce has his company and fortune back again, so that's big. That's like the big news there. Wednesday, fall, the same week. Calendar Man is quite old, and Bruce explains to Duke that his body ages with the seasons and will molt soon, becoming a young man once more. Julian Day is speeding up this season by some hidden machine, and the dormant spores will once again hatch. Duke asks Bruce what he's doing there, and Bruce says that it's really up to him, but he's not looking for a Robin, rather something else, and he shows him a new suit that looks very similar to his Robin suit, but it has a bat symbol on it. Thursday, winter. Batman plunges into freezing waters in order to destroy the machine that is accelerating the season. He relies on Duke to keep talking to him since the temperatures could, of course, kill Bruce. Despite being down there for too long, Bruce manages to destroy the machine and disprove Duke. Friday, back to spring. 
Calendar Man emerges from his husk and becomes a new body. Bruce and Duke kick a tree. <laughs> so weird. Uh, Bruce explains that Julian comes back slightly altered but with the same memories, just like Batman and friends come back better each time. Alfred drops an avocado down a hole, and it's lunchtime for the bats. Next, Batman number one by Tom King and David Finch. So my first question is, uh, both questions are about characters here. My first one's about Calendar Man. What do you think of this new character detail for him? Uh, the fact that he kind of has powers now. He's not just a regular man. And uh, that he is able to live, I guess, forever potentially in the fact that he undergoes metamorphosis and, and has a, a husk or a shell and then pops out of it younger. Um, so a different person, but the same memory. So this is a, a twist on Calendar Man that we have seen in the New 52, I would say, as well as in the past. What do you think about this? Um, I was kind of taken off by it. The thing is, I don't... Here's here's my problem, okay? I know that Scott Snyder was the co-writer on this issue along with Tom King, who's taking over Batman. But this felt like one of those situations where Snyder was rewriting a villain. And Calendar Man's not really that big of a villain. I would not say he's an A-list villain. He's probably not even a B-list villain if it wasn't for um, you know, him taking part in some some big stories. But realistically, I don't really look at him and think to myself, well, he can't be – he's not a villain who can't be messed with. But when I was reading this, my only thought was maybe, maybe he's involved with some other villain and that's why he has these powers. Maybe Poison Ivy somehow infected him and he, mm. that's why he has this – you know, he changes with the seasons type thing. Because as far as the calendar, like, his whole motif was, you know, he's he's stuck on dates and holidays and events and things like that. And changing with the seasons is not really, you know, yes, it goes by the calendar, but it's not calendar specific. It's, it's just the seasons, which more has to do with plant life and things like that. So in my mind, I just feel like, if they were going to do this, my only thought is maybe Poison Ivy is behind him having powers, but mm. I don't really think that's the case. That was just my, my hope. I mean, honestly, you talk about him being an A or B villain. I think if you take his appearance out of the long Halloween aside, he's not – you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. he's kind of a one-trick pony. Um, I kind of thought that, that if they weren't going to organically work this in, that maybe one of Mr. Bloom's seeds were – you know, we had a guy with – See, started out super. So I, I kind of, you know, mentally made the link that maybe he got a hold of one of Bloom's seeds uh, during uh, Super Heavy, and maybe that is his new power set. Um, I don't know. I mean, we don't really get to see a conclusion to this, and I don't, I don't think we need to reinvent Calendar Man. Um, there was a point in the New Fifty Two, wasn't he? Like the reporter in the back of the issues for a while. Um, yes, like he was. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, after like he was the, the abusive father, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that was yeah, that was in yeah. the at the beginning of the New Fifty Two. He was a reporter alongside alongside who was that? Ambush Bug. Ambush Bug. Ambush Bug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, was one of them too <laughs> for Channel Fifty Two News, and then he became the abusive father in that detective comic story mm -hmm. that was written by Francis Manipul and Brian Buccioletto. Yeah, and now he's a super powered bug person. So okay, um, I don't, I don't know, I. I 
I wasn't sure why the, the Rebirth issue focused on Calendarman of all the millions of things they could have focused on, but um, yeah, I don't know if it was necessary or not. It, it just felt kind of um, – it wasn't poorly written, but it felt kind of contrived. I mean, like you said, Dustin, he's supposed to be the guy that, that wants to go kill leprechauns or Irish people on St. Patrick's Day, not a guy that does this. So different, but it was fine. And, and the thing is, like, the what I guess I didn't understand was, you know, the I thought the whole point of the Rebirth issues was kind of supposed to – meld what happened pre you know pre uh rebirth with what's going to happen in the future and like they kind of did that with you know giving bruce wayne his his money back and and you know focusing on duke thomas linking up with with batman they were doing that with with everything outside of the villain stuff but then all of a sudden this villain thing gets thrown in there and it's like oh by the way we have this whole new origin that's not pre new 52 not new 52 whole different completely third you know universe version of this character and i i was kind of i i just didn't understand what the point of it was yeah i'm i'm not sure i think it's a little strange um you know i can i can understand different character angles and things like that i i think you know the abusive father is certainly one sort of angle but sort of morphing him into this inhuman, I think, was a little strange. I feel like, you know, if if they're human, why not keep them human and then if they have superpowers, you know, give them those superpowers or whatever. So keep them, you know, at their their natural, most natural. So I, I did think it was a bit odd. And I don't know if, you know, since this is rebirth number one, if this is something that we're gonna sort out because, you know, Dustin, you're saying maybe this is because of poison ivy. And if it's explained, you know, that's wonderful. But what I'm going to be annoyed with is if we just go on with this new calendar man and it's never explained why there's this transition and we're just supposed to accept it. Uh, so there you go with calendar man, Julian Day. My other question is about Duke. What do you think uh, Duke's role – I'm sorry? Duke. Uh, what do you what do you think Duke's role is going to be in this new Batman universe? And if he is not Robin, who is he? Well, I my assumption was that he was Lark, um, so my that was my guess, and that's why mm-hmm. Batman said it's or Duke said he doesn't want to be a Robin, and Batman said he had something else in mind, and he shows him the suit, and I thought basically this is a way of getting around the fact that he was a Robin, but nobody in the fan community at least feels like he really should be a Robin. That he was kind of forced upon us by making him a completely different character. That's not a Robin. You're not negating the fact that Damien still exists, which is a smart way of doing it. Instead, it's basically, Hey, we realized it was a bad idea to one, have Scott Snyder create this, this idea of the, we are Robin movement, have a book that's called, we are Robin. But meanwhile, you have a book called Robinson of Batman who, is gets like no focus whatsoever. So in in a lot of ways, it's smart because they realize we made a mistake. Just because Scott Snyder doesn't want to deal with Damien doesn't mean we should just ignore the fact that this kid is Robin. And just because Scott Snyder doesn't want to touch Damien, he can make this other character Robin. They're not doing that. They're going to let him have the, a role as basically a Robin or as a sidekick, but in a different role. So my assumption was that it was Lark. That costume doesn't look exactly like the Lark costume that we saw in that Detective Comics number 27 issue from a couple of years back, uh, or a year and a half ago, or two years. That was a while ago. It was longer than that. Time flies. Um, but 
you know, it, it doesn't look like it's that futuristic Lark's costume that we saw in that Scott Snyder story in Detective Comics number 27. So my guess is that it's just a different version of that, and this is Lark. And that explains why there's a bluebird and a Lark in the Batcave in the future. Otherwise, I don't know what it is. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. Like, I actually think this is a much if, – if Damien is going to be a major point in the universe going forward, um, then I think that if we're going to bring new vigilantes into the Batcave, new, new members of the Bat family, we don't, they don't all have to be a Robin first. I think this is totally fine. Um, I mean, you have Orphan, who, you know, she was never really a, a Robin, so we're adding all these members to the family now. So, yeah, I mean, I think the intention from Snyder was that probably to make this guy Robin at some point. Um, I think that probably got, you know, sidetracked. I think the fact that, you know, Damien's going to play such a prominent role by having the, the tit- Teen Titans book and then the Super Sons book, so he'll be in two books at once. Um, I don't dislike Duke's character, and I think this is a good way of making everyone happy. You get to keep Duke around, and I don't know if – I mean, Lark is the is, – I think you're right. doesn't make the most sense, but I don't care if they call him Yellow Bat or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm still sure there'll be a better name than that for it, but but Small I don't care. Yeah, yellow, yellow, the Yellow Tail. The, I mean, it doesn't matter. I, I, I just think that this kind of lets you serve two masters at once. You keep, keep him around, and everyone keeps happy that likes his character, and you don't make him Robin, which doesn't, you know – detract from the more hardline people. Um, I think it's fine. I think he'll, he'll probably, from the looks of this issue, is going to play a major role, if not in the Batman book, then an all-star Batman and Robin, but it looks like Duke is going to be with us for um, for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if he's going to be somewhat autonomous uh, and not necessarily fill that sidekick role. I think that's what we saw in this particular issue because you know he was there and he was counting down the time and... and telling Bruce, you got to get out, you got to get out. But the fact that he asked, you know, what do you want from me? And, or, you know, why am I here? And Bruce said, that's up to you. Almost seems like he's giving him more reins in his life than Bruce has really given any of his sidekicks. Um, so I don't know if there's like a, a bit of Nightwing in there, just the fact that they're going to work together, but he's not necessarily going to be at, at Bruce's beck and call. Cause it seems like Duke, and I think something particular about his character, just like, you know, the Robins that have come before him, he's got some stuff to work out in his life. I mean, even those scenes when you, you saw his family and everything, it just seems like he's not necessarily ready to let go also of the Robins with We Are Robins. So I think this could be a nice transitional time, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily, you know, Batman and partner or Batman and sidekick. Um, so, but yeah, I, I just look forward to seeing, you know, what, what does this mean? Cause he has, Batman has plans for him in, in some specific way, but we don't really know what it is. Um, as for name, who knows? Uh, but I knew it wasn't going to be Robin, but I, I just think it's interesting that the symbol on his chest is, a, is it, it's a bat symbol. So, um, I don't know if, if he's going to be more of a Batman figure necessarily than, than all the other, the bat, uh, sidekicks that have been in the past. So that's my thoughts. And there, uh, there's Batman Rebirth number one. All right. So for this issue, I'm going to give three and a half out of five. Uh, that sounds about right. Three and a half out of five. And I will agree, even though there was a very nice little um, workout scene with Bruce, which I appreciated. So 3.5 out of five. Okay. And over on the website, <laughs> Matthew gave the issue three out of five. So it's going to give Batman Rebirth, number one, a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. 
Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 934, uh, written by James Tating IV, art by Eddie Barrows. Uh, the issue starts off in Gotham City two days ago where we see Azrael. He is near a church when he sees somebody who appears to look like Batman trying to take him out. Um, he knocks him through, or the, the, the Batman-like character knocks Azrael through the stained glass and you know starts beating him within an inch of his life um all of a sudden there's a there's some sort of what what appears to be some sort of communication to the batman lookalike that says that there's incoming and the incoming is actually batman um batman comes down and goes to azrael um in the process he finds a drone that's watching them and he throws a batarang at it and he talks to azrael and says who did this to you and azrael says you you did um, and the person who did this behind the scenes, at least, is watching on the computer screens, um, very happy with themselves. Uh, now, uh, to the present time, we see Batwoman uh, grappling through the skyline of Gotham City, talking to her father. Um, her father's basically saying, you don't have any sort of purpose. You worked well with a team, but you have no team. What have you actually accomplished in these past few months? Um, we see that another one of these drones is watching Batgirl as well. Uh, Batgirl says that she doesn't have, she doesn't want to talk to her dad right now. And as she did, unlo- you know, uh, unconnects from the communication with her father, she she notices that there's somebody in her apartment and says, uh, I know you're there. I can feel you watch me, but you picked the wrong apartment. Um, it turns out it's Batman, and Batman says, I want you to take a look at this, and it's the drone. She looks at it and says, well, this drone is super advanced. Um, where did it come from? And he says that uh, there was somebody who, who named Sean Paul Valley, a former assassin, who was beat up pretty badly, and this drone was watching, and he's noticed that the drones are watching all over the city. They're watching all the vigilantes that are currently operating in Gotham City. She says it's extremely high-tech. Um, he says it's not his. She's not super convinced of this, and she asks, what's the reason why you're telling me this? He then explains that he wants to create a team. He's been watching, and he's been he's had plans to train a number of the vigilantes within Gotham City, but he hasn't had time, and this this issue that's presented itself um, with these drones and somebody attacking the vigilantes has, has kind of moved up his plans a lot quicker than he anticipated, and he wants to start a team. Basically, he wants Kate to help him train these vigilantes in Gotham City, and he reveals himself and says... I am Bruce Wayne. And she's like, oh, I knew that all along. She's like, ah. and he's, of course, taken aback and says, how did you know? And he goes, come on, we're cousins. Of course I know mm-hmm. this. Uh, so then she asks who they're planning on uh, recruiting. He starts off by saying, spoiler, uh, describes her as someone who has the ability to, you know, contr- has very good skills when it comes to uh, computers and technology and things like that. Um, she is uh, joined. We, we are shown her taking down a bunch of penguins thugs. And it turns out that Tim Drake is, is with her. Um, 
we see that the drones are also watching them as well. Um, and Batman and Batwoman approach them and say they want to recruit them. Meanwhile, the next recruit is Orphan, Cassandra Kane, as she's trying to stop some human traffickers. Um, and then, surprisingly, the last recruit for this team, um, they go to a theater where... Clayface, he broke out of jail to go to a theater so that he could watch one of his own movies. Um, Batman says to to Clayface, you have the opportunity to redeem yourself. He says, um, okay, well, wh- what would I have to do? And, she, and Batwoman says, well, the catch is that you're going to have to do everything that we tell you to. So then uh, what appears to be on the, the top of GCPD because of the Bat Signal's presence, the team is there... Batman and Batwoman are telling them that uh, they're here to basically train them. They're going to make them the best heroes slash vigilantes that they possibly can be. And uh, Batwoman states that uh, they are all now enlisted into boot camp. Uh, The first test is to try to keep up. So Batman and Batwoman grapple away. And they're trying to follow. Clayface, of course, is say, says to himself, how the heck am I supposed to do that? Um, meanwhile, Batwoman says to Batman, I know there's something they're not telling me, um, but reality, I need you to know that I am not your subordinate in this. I'm going to be your partner. And if there's anything that I need to know, you need to tell me. Meanwhile, at some other dis, uh, undisclosed location, we see an army of what appeared to be Batmen um, lo- with... Uh, geared up to the hilt with ammo and grenades and weapons, suits of armor, as well as machine guns. And there's somebody standing in front of them saying, let's see how they stand up against an army. Next issue, Apocalypse Now. This issue had a number of interesting things. Um, I want to talk first about the... Let's just talk, get the, the Batman thing out of the way because there's not a whole lot to that. Um, we're shown this army. Um, future solicitations name this group as the Colony. Uh, we don't know a whole lot more information about them. Obviously, in two weeks, we'll we'll know more than what we know now. But this issue served as kind of a setup. There's this organization of some group of people uh, that dress like Batman but use weapons, and they are monitoring all the vigilantes in Gotham with drones that are super high-end technology that even is so advanced that it's further advanced than anything that Wayne Tech even has. So the question is, what are your immediate thoughts on this group? Are there, you know, is there any, is this, is this, is there anything promising with this group that you can see as of right now? Um, you know, what, what are your expectations knowing that this is the first group of villains that uh, they're going to encounter. I think that the group here is, I mean, I don't know who is behind it. Um, I don't know why, but I, I don't, I haven't thought about Bane, but I, I don't know if that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just a gut feeling. I don't know. I, I don't think that the, the probably the villain is going to be important for this first arc. Um, I think it's more going to be about the team concept, right? Um, I don't, I think that you, you need more than one person because we have a team of, you know, multiple people here. Um, a robotic bat army. I mean, we've kind of we've kind of seen this before. So I mean, it's fine. And again, it's it's super early, so I, I don't want to be too judgmental. Um, but it it sounds to me like someone who is trying to track down the, the 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 vigilantes of Gotham, and we need a we need an army to bring the group together. So it seems like it's a 
conveniently placed. Though not not it's not it's not that it's not enjoyable, but it seems like a very good plot device for the story. In 1995, Ooh. there was an Elseworlds released called <laughs> yes called Brotherhood of the Bat. People may not know what this is. I the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I recently covered it on Backworld Oracle, or else you know I had I would have no idea. But it's in this post-apocalyptic world, and Bruce Wayne is dead, or he's gone anyways. He's dead, and there's this army of uh, of Batman, and who leads this army? You may be asking yourself, none other than Roz or Raish, however mm. you like it, Al Ghul. Now, who knows if that's the direction that we're going. It would crack me up if that's who the villain is because of this. But this is, you know, when I saw this at the end, I thought, oh, my gosh, it's Brotherhood of the Bat. Um, I guess, This is the, the way, I guess, to start this particular story. I think there's probably going to be some loss of faith in the Batman character with the city. Uh, probably bad stuff is going to happen and people won't necessarily trust Batman. And so to come to his aid, to fill that void is going to be his team. And I think this is going to be their first real trial. Uh, so as a, as a villain, um, I guess villains, a group of villains, I think it works. I think if, if you're trying to build up this team, Team, you have to establish them as a team, and perhaps to do that is to get rid of the character for a time who may overshadow the, the other members of the team. So um, for that reason, I mean, like Ed said, it's pretty early, so we don't know what the what the story is. But I, I think that this group of Batman who have their own set of ideals, to be sure, uh, will play well. And if the the man behind the curtain is, which really you know behind the shadows is. Uh, Rage slash Ra's al Ghul, I will laugh. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's Ra's al Ghul, but I mean, okay. if it is, it, it it would feel as if this story was ripped straight from that. Brother of the Bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I I don't know who who it would be at this point. I feel like we probably need more information, but it is. I feel like the fact that they have resources that are beyond even Wayne Tech is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how many people out there in the DC universe that already exist would have technology that's more advanced than what Wayne Tech is creating. League um, of Assassins? League of Assassins, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like, they haven't really been ever been really been shown as knowing how to do great tech or anything like that. The only other thing I could think of is something like outside, completely outside the box, which I don't see happening, like with Lex Luthor or something like that. Or Star Labs, or you know something, something where the, you know there's some sort of tech that is light years beyond what Wayne Tech's doing because it somehow involves alien technology or something like that. But anyway, the other thing, obvious thing to talk about is the inclusion of the new team that Batman's going to be teamed with up in this book. Now, obviously, over the past couple of years, James Tynion has worked with. He's been kind of the showrunner for Batman Eternal. Um, a lot of the series has been planned by himself along with other writers as well but he's really been the person at the head of what they've been doing with that with that series and as we've seen from his individual issues he works very well you know giving enough um characterization to the characters that are in the book um when he has to deal with certain characters and in some ways you would 
I don't know that Detective Comics normally would be the book you would associate with, yes, this is the book that makes sense to have a team, but I'm okay with it. Um, when this was announced that it was going to have Batman and a group of characters teaming with him, I was thrilled. It's part of the reason why I wanted to you know, take over Detective Comics after Rebirth was because I like the team element. I, you know, the Batman universe website exists because of the Batman universe, not just Batman. Um, and, you know, so that's the whole gist of it. So when I saw this and saw that the team was going to happen, I was I was very interested in this. So laying out the team, we have, uh, let's talk each about each character inv- individually just because, this is the time to do it. Um, so Batwoman pops up. Uh, I thought it was interesting that one, they say, you know, what has she been doing the last few months? Because basically since her, her own series ended over a year and a half ago, she's done nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, so it's, it's interesting that they bring that up. Um, I don't even remember. I think she did make a very small appearance in Batman eternal. Yeah. But like yeah. outside of that, she yeah she 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 really was not involved in a whole lot. What's funny though is she actually a lot of people were wondering well, why in the heck is Clayface involved in this? And what's interesting about this is that when I heard that Clayface was going to be involved, I immediately pegged it with the Batwoman kind of thing because if you read Batwoman before it ended, Clayface was involved in the team that was that was part of what was going on in Batwoman, um, and. Clayface was kind of being written as a character that wasn't just this psychotic killer as we've seen Clayface been written before. He was kind of this like gray character, kind of like somebody was trying to make him more of like a Catwoman type where it's, he's not always about, you know, doing bad. Um, so I was, I wasn't super concerned about Clayface, but the, the one thing that I wanted to say about Batwoman is that, there's a couple things. The fact that she had no problem figuring out who Batman was, I think was great. And the fact that it surprised Bruce Wayne was, was great. It shows that, you know, Batwoman is a force to be reckoned with by herself. Um, but I guess I, the one thing that I didn't like was I'm not a big fan of them giving her the, the GI Jane buzz cut. Um, yeah. I don't know the, the reason behind that. Um, other than, you know, someone just decided we we're going to make her, look like G.I. Jane. I understand the premise, the idea behind it, which is she's a former soldier and things like that, but she was a former soldier in her own title before and she didn't have a buzz cut. So that was the only problem I had. And then sometimes when she had the wig with the cowl when she was at Batwoman, the, the hair was doing some weird, weird stuff that I just didn't understand, like flowing in front of her cowl and things like that. It was just kind of annoying. So let's talk Batwoman first. I'm glad she's here, I, um, and it's, I think if you're going to have a Batwoman slash Batman led team, I kind of like Detective as the place to do it. Remember, it was it was uh, in, in Detective where Batwoman had her run as the as the head of the title for a couple years. Yep, that's right. Um, so I think this is okay. I mean, this was kind of her book pre New Fifty Two. So if you look at the numbering issues, I mean, if you were just looking at them and taking the New Fifty Two out, wouldn't the like some of the last number ones be Batwoman stories, right? And then you go right back into Batwoman. Um, so I, I like her. I like the fact that she's back. I don't. The haircut's questionable, but hell, we've all had a bad haircut, probably. You know, um, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I'm assuming that there's they're not going to be a narrative explanation, um, and maybe they'll just have her grow her hair out, which would be a good choice. But no, I'm really glad that she's back. Um, I hope we get Maggie back at some point. Um, but yeah, I'm glad she's in the book. 
I have to break in when you say Maggie because I I don't I don't we don't cover these books here, but my understanding is that Maggie Sawyer is has moved back to Metropolis where she originally originated from. Come on. Uh, in in the pages of Action Comics, so yeah. Really. And unfort, I mean, did you miss the bubble where she where um. She does say she has a Rochelle or something. Yeah. She makes this avocado toast in the morning. When I saw that, I just thought, oh, that's so sad. But um, I'm saying the writers can always bring her back. Please, just do it. Bring her back from Metropolis. Just fix it. Fix it. Tinian, do it. Yeah. Uh, I agree with Ed about uh, it's great to have that woman back, period. Um, as for, you know, this detective being the venue for a team book, I mean, if you think back, you know, silver and bronze and everything, not necessarily a team book, but it was certainly the place for multiple smaller stories to showcase different characters like Batgirl. That's where, you know, she got her start sort of in a continuing fashion. You had Man Bat and then later on Man Bat and Jason Bard. So the fact that there are multiple characters uh, finding a home in Detective Comics, I think, is very fitting. Um, for Kate, like I said, I'm very happy to see her back. Um, it was funny how Dustin said, you know, what has she been doing? Nothing. And I wanted to say, well, it wasn't her fault. Oh, I know it wasn't her fault. It's not <laughs> yeah, her fault at all. Lazy layabout. Yeah. Um, so it's it's glad it's good to see her back. Um, of course, there's already you know some tension between her and her father. I don't necessarily understand her haircut either, um, unless, no. I, <laughs> I mean, we, we could just be overthinking it, but, um, you know, overall, I, I felt like even her face wasn't drawn as attractive as I have seen Kate be in the past, and I don't know if they're sort of trying to shift um, characterizations of her and create her into a... Um, I don't know, like a, a different lesbian trope? I don't know. But the fact that, you know, we have a lesbian character at the forefront of Detective Comics uh, back again in the 600s now, close to 700s, is great. And so I think that's certainly the, the big thing to, to look at there. And was that our only thing? And she's a leader, which I think will be good because she can put her military background to use. So that'll be good. Yeah. So the other characters as part of the team, uh, let's talk about two at the same time, Spoiler and Orphan. Um, these characters, obviously, both of those characters, uh, Stephanie more so from the, the first uh, Batman Eternal series and Orphan from the second Batman Eternal series, they both are, in some ways, characters that James Tinian brought back in his own way. Um, and now they're going to be part of his series. The The thing that I think is interesting is that they are, you know, saying that each one of them have certain skills. They're laying it out. They're, you know, for anybody who potentially didn't read Batman Eternal, I think they do a good job of explaining who the characters are in a very short amount of panels. Um, so I thought that was really good. Um, thoughts on the two of them? I think it's good to have in the book. That's all. Um I was afraid that we would lose spoiler from you know that girl who was who was making some appearances over there and she would go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I mean, I'm glad Cassandra's here. I don't. I mean, I wish they just called her Black Bat. Call me crazy, you know. But um, I just you know I just just call her Black Bat. Get it over with. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's cool. Um, I'm glad they're here because I'm glad they're not lost. What you you hate to have is with with a character like uh, Cass and Stephanie for that matter. That were remember these two were the ones that were gone. They were the two that people were still writing about when the New 52 was going on. They were gone for so long, you know? Um, 
I'm just glad that they're not being brought back and, and forgotten. Plus, I did like the scene here with Stephanie with Tim Drake, you know? Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm super happy that we got all these people here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good because we're sort of recycling characters, which I think, you know, to a, to a certain degree, you need to save them if they're, if they're going to be um, not used. And... I think there was always that potential of having Steph in a Birds of Prey. And so once you realize that um, Birds of Prey is happening, but Steph is not on the team, you wonder where is she going to go. And I love that she's here. I love that she already has a footing to a certain extent in the universe. So she's not, you know, the Stephanie Brown where people were annoyed at her and she messed up and everything. Batman already seems to somewhat respect her and realize that she does have potential, which I think is good. Um, as for Cassandra, I do, I wish she didn't use the orphan title, if only because I want her to separate herself from her father. And it's not as if she had the best relationship with her father. <laughs> so why, you know, why take on his persona to a certain extent? Um, I love that we have both the Batgirl and it's like her costume is integration of Batgirl uh, along with the, um, the, the black bat suit, I think. Uh, my only problem with it, I think, is that it makes it more masculine, maybe, than I, I feel comfortable with. And, and I I feel like, you know, we don't have to play up the fact that Cassandra Kane is, you know, a girl. But it is nice to, like, maybe have her be proven to be a girl rather than, you know, I, I could just switch her out with somebody else and give her the same suit. So, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I don't know if that makes sense. So, I, I just wish it were a little more feminine so it can be like, yes, we have this character. We have, I mean, look at this. This is great. We have three females on the on a team. That's awesome. But this one's sort of in between because you, you can't really tell. So, uh, yeah. So, I think, you know, these are almost discarded characters. Look at this. Batwoman who was shelved because people couldn't deal with her the way they wanted to. Steph, who was a fan favorite, who got put away when New 52. Cass, who was also, I mean, this is great. This is like resurrection zone here for Detective Comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the, the other thing that's I think is is awesome is that they're, they're focusing on the, the series as a general. They're focusing on characters that I think a lot of people have said, what's going on with these characters? What are you doing with these characters? You know, with Steph, with, with Steph, she was brought back in Eternal. She's kind of floated here and there, made a couple appearances in different books. She was in Catwoman for a while. With Cassandra, she's been in nothing since Eternal ended. Um, Batwoman's been nowhere since her book ended, um, like I said, a year and a half ago. And then we have finally Tim Drake, who... <laughs> Basically, I, I, I wish I could just pretend that the last five years didn't exist. Oh, boy. Poor guy. Because he's not great. Anything, yeah. Yeah, anything that with Tim Drake in it from the last five years has kind of been sucky. Anything that focused on him specifically as a singular character has not been very good. Um, and in some ways, I'm hoping that they, you know, they rewrite the ship when it comes to Tim Drake here. So talking about Tim Drake, there's not a whole lot to talk about because they don't really even focus on Tim Drake other than, you know, he's been trained before he's going to be the Lieutenant to Batwoman. Um, but like, there's not a whole lot here. It's just Tim Drake's involved, which I'm thrilled about because I love the character of Tim Drake, as long as it's not the crappy new 52 version of the character. And given that he's got a different suit, I'm really hoping that they just said, we're going to forget the last five years. 
Well, that's a course correction I think we all want to see happen, right? Yeah. Like, just go, hey, and, and th- th- I don't need to have, like, a special Tim Drake rebirth issue. Um, we can just go, we're moving on. You know, I mean, we can we, we could back like that never happened, that Teen Titans number zero. You remember that new oh, yeah. origin of him that was just truly hideous and awful in pretty much every way you could make something? Um, we could just act like that didn't happen, and then they could just have, like, a flashback in a, in a single panel where we show something classic out of uh, – you know, his classic orgy, Lonely Place of Dying, and then everything's right with the world again, and we can just move on. Yeah. I do, I, I focused in or zoomed in on the fact that there's this one speech box that says, <laughs> probably a better title, uh, Red Robin, Tim Drake has the best tactical mind of any partner I worked with. And I wondered if, could we get to the point where he is called a Robin? Was he one of the Robins now? I don't know. Because remember, think, we were told that he was never a Robin. I think if we stretch it back out, which me and this leads us into some bigger questions, but if the Dr. Manhattan thing kind of snaps back or whatever happens and we get the 10 years brought back or some part of the 10 years back, then I mm-hmm. would hope one of the changes would be that we get Tim's time as Robin back. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, I did find it interesting that when he's fighting with spoil- Spoiler, which I think is uh, amazing, even though it's just you know two panels, but then together is great, that she says um, that apparently she has the ability to lock him out of his computer systems. She's done it once. She can yeah. do it again. Which I thought is that was th- amusing, too, because <laughs> I thought to myself, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, if we were talking about he Bluebird. Because isn't he really a tech wizard? Yeah. yeah if we were talking yeah. about Bluebird, they, you know, that actually <laughs> happened in Battle right. of Eternal, so that would make mm-hmm. perfect sense. But <laughs> this is not Bluebird. So, mm-hmm. like, I thought that maybe they're playing up her technology prowess a little bit more than, you know, was ever led on to be- let us led on to believe in, mm-hmm. you know, at least what's been shown with the New 52 and stuff. But... The, the one question I have about Tim Drake that I, hopefully one of you guys can help me answer, there's a panel where uh, Steph says, did you really come all the way down here to chew me out? He says, no, I got the letter. She responds, you got in? Oh, man, we've got to celebrate. All right, yeah. What is that? What you are got they into some about? school. That's what I'm I guessing think, it is, but yeah. it, like, it just comes out of nowhere. I don't remember him trying to get into a school or anything like that. It's time. It's time a very strange weird reference. Yeah, I don't know. It is a weird reference, just, isn't it? Unless they're just trying to like specifically date him by you know trying to say, hey, he's a certain age because he's seventeen because he's going to be you know he just got accepted into a college or something like that. That's the only thing I can I can think of. Well, I'm sure they're going to start off some sort of storyline with this. Maybe, maybe, maybe when it's not boot camp time and. There There's go. a little bit more into it, but I thought that was interesting. But overall, I mean, and then finally, Clayface. There's not a whole lot, you know, to say about Clayface. Like I said, I, I believe that Clayface is involved, and a lot of people are like, "Well, he's a villain." But yes, if unless you read certain other books like Batwoman, where Clayface was part of a team that included Etrigan the Demon and Ooh. some others. So mm-hmm. I mean. Realistically, there's 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 a, there's some basis behind using the character. I think that Clayface is actually a really interesting character to use in the lar- larger scheme of things because of his abilities. The fact mm-hmm. that he can basically become anybody he wants, I think, is a really cool ability. Yes, it plays well fine when he's a villain, but if he's a hero, there's all kinds of things that they could do with it, and that we haven't seen. 
I mean, the, the comparable character here in the world would be uh, Martian Manhunter John Jones because he can morph. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's basically it, and that character is not going to just become a regular character in the pages of a Batman book. So I think the the idea of Clayface as a, as a hero or a redeeming hero, I just hope it doesn't turn into some sort of weird thing like they did with uh, Poison Ivy at the beginning of Birds of Prey where she was part of the team and then like three issues in they're like, well, we need to get rid of somebody so we're going to make her bad again. It wasn't three issues. Okay, well, it, it was it was pretty quickly. It was pretty quickly. And then and then they did the same thing with, uh, uh, what's her name, Starling, uh, where yeah. she basically just became like the best friend of Mr. Freeze for no I'm apparent bitter. reason. I'm bitter about that. Uh, do you, will, will Clayface slash does Clayface know their identities? I'm going to say no. Okay. I would hope not. I'm guessing that wonder. I'm guessing that even Steph doesn't even know the identities of the other ones. Like maybe Tim, because I think that was shown yeah. in Eternal, but I don't think. Well, I don't know. Like I can't yeah. remember Eternal that well to remember whether or not she knew Bruce Wayne. But I feel like nobody knows who, who Batwoman is. Probably, if they do, like except maybe Tim Drake, because he's part of the the immediate, you know, sidekicks and the fact that he's, you know at least here being named the lieutenant, I'm guessing maybe he's in the fold with that, but... Well, Tim Tim knows. I think Tim knows. If you use Tim as the character pre-New 52, he definitely knows who everybody is. No question about it. Yeah, I guess that's the problem. Well, even in New 52, he knew who everyone was. I mean, I I think you have the inner part of the Bat family, which is Tim, Dick, Damien, Jason, basically all the Robins. Kind of, you you know what I'm saying? I think they know. We've had enough scenes through... Death of the Family and all the other stuff that happened in the New 52 where I think we can accept that they are definitely in on... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Clayface, I don't know. But it does, Clayface does make sense because of the Batwoman connection that you brought up. Actually, it makes more sense than one would might think at first. Yeah. Okay. So, that is Detective Comics. I thought this was a great start to the issue. I'm looking forward to it. Not real sure about the Batman, but I'm not looking at this issue as the introduction of the you know the weird Batman, the army of Batman. I'm looking at this the introduction of a team that I that is filled with characters that I long to see more of. So I'm going to give this four and a half out of five. Ooh, four out of five, really good. Four out of five. And then over on the website, Ian gave it four and a half out of five, so it's going to give Detective Comics number nine thirty four a total of four. Out of five, bad ranks. Let's move over to the website for Greater Gotham. A bunch of stuff that's been coming out, some old books, some rebirth stuff. So starting off on June 1st, we have Batman Beyond number 13. The latest issue continues the story of Batman versus Rewire. We get a glimpse of Terry's quest to find the fate of Red Robin and Tim's quest to find Rewire. We learn that Rewire is not the same person Barbara knew, but a surprising twist that he is Terry McGinnis himself. So somehow Terry McGinnis is back in the Batman Beyond book which will, I'm sure, be explained in the coming months, yes. So that was reviewed by Jim. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, neutral. Thumbs up. 
And then uh, there was no secondary TV books or main DC Universe books. Uh, there was secondary DC Universe books, including Green Arrow Rebirth number one. Uh, Black Canary becomes the main supporting character as Green Arrow returns to his fleet pre-Flashpoint persona, goatee and all. Black Canary's relationship with Oliver seems to be only gearing up. Um, and then we had Injustice Gods Among Us, year 5, number 11, which included digital chapters 21 and 22. Through some self-analysis and a fight with Shazam, Harley finds out how much she truly has changed since Joker died and wants to finally take a stand against Superman. Batman gains a new ally for the insurgency with Hawkman joining his ranks. And finally, DC Comics Bombshells number four, number 14, digital chapters number 40 through 42. Banished from under the sea, Mira is rescued and helped back to health through, though without her powers, by a kind of Irish man named Arthur. Joker's daughter pursues Zatanna and John Constantine through the years before and during the war. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy battle Joker's daughter, plan to possess Harley with Joker's spirit. And in the process, Quinn and Ivy fall in love. All right. So then we're going to move over to June 8th, which uh, as far as main TV books, we had Red Hood Arsenal number 13. The story involving the Iron Roll and Joker's daughter is resolved. We also see the first meeting of Roy Harper's Speedy and Jason Todd's Robin. This was viewed by Jim. He gave it one and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Thumbs down. Neutral. As far as secondary TV books, uh, Harley Quinn and her gang of Harleys, number three. Harley's gang comes under fire from Harley Sin's henchmen as they try to rescue their kooky leader. Can they survive the conflagration? Will they meet their fiery doom? Uh, Jerry reviewed this. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 And Lumber Jane's Gotham Academy number one. The Gotham Academy kids head to the woods to rescue Professor McPherson with a team mm-hmm. up with the Lumber Janes who are looking for one of their own. This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. And main DC Universe books, Black Canary number 12. After being stabbed in the last issue, we see the future of Dinah's li- how Dinah's life would play out, only to be a possible future as she regains consciousness, removes the sword, and is healed by Ditto. Full battle ensues between Black Canary, the Black Canary Band and Death, with a predictable yet satisfying end ending. Um, as far as secondary DC Universe books, we have Earth 2 Society number 13, Dick Grayson's Batman and Helena Wayne's Huntress make an appearance in the issue that brings the heroes of Earth 2 together to decide how to restore the planet to its full potential. So those are the books that have come out in the past two weeks. Um, as we get towards July, we'll be getting into more Rebirth stuff. But real quick, before we dive into uh, listener Q&A's The Bat Signal, was there any Rebirth titles that you read that were not Batman-related? Uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Superman, pretty much all of them. Just Green I, Arrow for me. Yeah, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Okay, so I read Green Arrow. I haven't had a chance to read the, the next batch of stuff that came out in week two, but I read Green Arrow. I got to say, I don't know your guys' thoughts on what you guys read, but I, I read Green Arrow and I was I was floored. I was I loved what I was reading. Um, which is surprising because I did not peg Benjamin Percy to write this version of the character, but I thought that he did a really good job, and the Green Arrow stuff was super promising. I used to love reading Green Arrow stuff pre-New 52. New 52 happened, I I didn't really follow it after the first six months. I said that before, I think. But um, really, really enjoyed it. Thoughts on 
you know, any of the other Rebirth titles outside of the Batman stuff. Yes, Crushed It on Green Arrow was really, really good. It seems like a very quick way to get Black Canary and him settled back into a new status quo, which resembles the old status quo, right? But without just making it, like, instantaneous. Um, The Green Lantern I really like. I think that focusing on Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz are going to be really good. And, And another good way to bring, like, a kind of organic diversity into the books, you know, with Jessica and Simon. Um, and the Wonder Woman by Rucka was, was again, was really good. In fact, I haven't read any of them yet that made me want to cry, um, you know, or, or weep or anything like that. But I would say Lanterns, uh, Arrow, and uh, Wonder Woman by Rucka are all, um, are all really good. The Superman one was a bit confusing just because I hadn't kept up at the end of the death of the pre- of the fifth new 52 Superman. So that was, it wasn't bad. It just was a little, little confusing. And I know what they're trying to do with that, but they've all been really, really good. And it, and it seems like that, that Rucka is just going to knock it out of the park with this, this um, run on wonder woman. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy about them all. Uh, well, if I were to say anything, it would just be that I'm happy to finally see green arrow and black canary back together again. But I agree that that was a, that was a great title. All right. So definitely I would suggest if you, with the when the new Fifty Two started, if you picked up some of these titles outside of the Batman stuff, and it wasn't your cup of tea anymore, I would definitely suggest checking it out. At least giving the first, you know, one two issues of some of these new, you know, some of these reboots, not reboots. Sorry, don't say it's a reboot. Don't call it that. Yeah, it's not a reboot. <laughs> yeah. Um, wasn't a reboot, never was a reboot, whatever. Anyway, the thing is, I would definitely suggest checking out some of these new series, renumbered series, whatever. Um, checking them out, giving these characters another chance because like, I was I was pleasantly surprised by the Green Arrow one and I did not walk into reading it thinking it was going to be very good. So definitely give those a, a look if you haven't already. All right, so moving into our bat signal, we have a number of uh, listener Q&As, so great on all of our listeners for leaving those so promptly. Um, First up, uh, Jerry says, really glad you were all back, missed the podcast, loved hearing your different comments about Rebirth. I got on board to the DCU with the new 52, so I wasn't particularly looking forward to going back to basics. However, I really loved Green Arrow Rebirth. I bought it because of Black Canary and very and." Very happy I did. I can appreciate Ed's bloody mind enthusiasm, but also understand Stella's fool me once hesitation. I'm personally choosing to be positive, even though I'm in mourning for the loss of some of my favorite DCU titles. At least there's still Gotham Academy. Mm-hmm. Regarding Batman 66, I heard a rumor that Adam West and Burt Warder in talks to do a Batman 66 animated project. Dustin, you alluded to something like that. Sounds like you were dead on. Well, I'd love to toot my own horn, but realistically, I, I had heard something about those rumors as well. I don't know if it's an animated project. I'm assuming it's some sort of animated project, but that's that's basically what I was alluding to without saying it because there's not really any sort of confirmation as to what exactly the project is, but that would be the reason to keep Batman 66 fresh in the mind of everybody. Um, as far as the DCU titles being canceled, it is a shame that some of them got canceled. Um, I think that... The, the biggest problem is that there's still, regardless, like, here's the thing. In my mind, 
DC is a huge publisher. They have a bare minimum that they have to have the titles performat regardless. And the problem is, even though they created titles that were geared towards a much smaller audience that aren't going to, you know, it's not going to rack up 50K issues in sales every single month. The problem is it's a large publisher and they can't keep producing stuff that only that only sells such a small amount. That's the problem. It's not a smaller publisher that has the ability to only sell, you know, five, 6,000 copies a month and, and be perfectly okay with that. And that's the biggest problem. Um, it's a great idea to have a series for everyone as their tagline was, but as a large publisher, it's not feasible to do something like that when the audiences are so niche. Uh, yeah, and the problem was some people just weren't reading it. I mean, the sales numbers for a lot of those DCU books were bad. I mean, real bad, you know? Um, the Batman 60, by the way, if that gets off the ground, um, that would be very interesting to see. All right, so now we have a extremely lengthy comment from Don. <laughs> from Donovan Morgan Grant regarding DC Rebirth. What we have here is a weighing of values. This story is putting so much of DC Comics' reputation and legacy on the line that it really is a special event in the company's history. Like Dustin remarked, this is one of the most transparent, direct apologies from company to readership in the history of the industry. It's Jeff Johns flagrantly admitting that the cries of grim, dark tone, misused continuity, and mischaracterization were all wholly accurate. So much so, so much so that it's a thing of evil for Wally West to unite the DC heroes to gather and defeat. So in my opinion, much of the story of Rebirth is the story behind it. The most open secret in the world is that the line of comics grew darker and more violent since Dan DiDio became in charge of the company. He's explicitly said that was an intentional move he did to make DC more relevant in a post-9-11 world and use both Identity Crisis and Infinite Crisis as examples to establish that. Wally West says, 10 years have been stolen, perhaps even more. It's been 10 years since Infinite Crisis and 13 plus since DiDio began working at DC. It goes along with our comments that even before the New 52, the books had gotten noticeably darker. What's even more interesting is the reported fact that DiDio uh, and Johns have had strong disagreements for years about the direction of DC, with DiDio reportedly getting his way each time. The one argument he lost was trying to kill off Dick Grayson in an Infinite Crisis, where he was unanimously outvoted. So the company intrigue is beyond fan complaint. It goes to the heart of the inner workings at DC. Which is why, while I understand Sella's cross-armed, impress-me attitude towards the event, I admit to falling under the this issue's spell. The use of the original Wally West, the details of his origin, and Barry's emotional how-could-I-forget-about-you line speaks volumes towards what's happening and being recognized at DC Comics. This is simply another time-cross read-launch. This is a very navel-gazing presentation about what has always made DC valuable in the hearts of its readers. This isn't one more day. This is quite literally tantamount to Joe Caseta apologizing for one more, day, one more day through the characters in the book. That's what sets us apart from everything that's come before and makes it different than just another reboot. I suppose there is a tendency for DC to dodgeball team pick and choose which characters stay and go that's somewhat disquieting. On the one hand, they aren't retconning New 52. We see the New 52 version of Wally in this book. On the other hand, they did just straight up kill off New 52 Superman and replace him with post-crisis slash 
pre-Flashpoint Superman. I get why that might be hard to take, but I'm personally weighing the values. I'm not sure where the rose-tinted glasses Dustin and Ed were wearing came from regarding the 2012 okay. line of, <laughs> of bat books, because as I recall, the majority were disliked by us on the comic cast. We enjoyed Batman, Batman and Robin, and Nightwing. Dark Knight was bad. Red Outlaws was awful. Catwoman was bad. Batwing was mediocre. Detective Comics was not great. And Batgirl goes without saying. I personally do not care one scrap of an iota if we're losing a majority of those stories to return to what had lasted longer and resonated better with fans. Again, they're not retconning anything, but continuity is falling into place. But quite frankly, if they did, I can't say... But quite frankly, if they did, I can't say, A, I care, or B, it's not in DC's nature to eventually bring back past elements of history into the present. I like Burnside Baccarol muchly, but were they to refund that for Oracle, I wouldn't bat an eye. Get, get it, get it. But I do get it's a storytelling crutch of DC that's a double-edged sword. My one feeling of apprehension comes from Watchmen's invocation into the story. Beyond dragging that singular story into DC Comics continuity, inferring that it's all Watchmen's fault that comics got dark is really crass and immature to do. Watchmen seized the potential of comic book storytelling and made the industry way more respected. Just because it resulted in terrible books like Image Comics all... And the Marvel DC books that tried to badly copy it doesn't mean that Watchmen should never have happened. We still would have gotten Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke and Death of Superman regardless. I hope Johns is smarter than to just prop up DC's legacy by damning Watchmen, or if not him, then his henchmen. Okay, so here's uh, the one comment I, I have to make right off the bat is the 2012 line of Bat books that uh – that Don is referring to, that Ed and I were saying we have rose-tinted glasses. Here's here's the thing. What we were saying was when the New 52 began, which when it when it first launched, we said we, we liked the books for the most part for the first six months, which would take us into 2012. Um, there was plenty of books that weren't very good. Dark Knight, I think, actually was not actually that bad until about issue four when they introduced the giant Hulk-sized Bane, and then it got better when uh, oh, Greg yeah. Hurwitz took over the book, and mm-hmm. I think what he was doing on Dark Knight was actually better. But the thing is, I think initially when the New 52 started, I don't think there was as much apprehension as to um, you know the stuff being just straight bad. Like I think we all were looking at it from the perspective of, we're going to give everything a shot, and see how it works. Now, six months in, that was plenty of time to realize that some of the stuff was not going in a direction that made any sense or was in a direction that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, Detective Comics is definitely one of them. Catwoman, Red Hood and the Outlaws. I mean, crap, Red Hood and the Outlaws five years later is still that same type of book. Um, but that's, that's the thing. So, I mean, like, realistically, my rose-tinted glasses aren't so much about the fact that I am saying that the books were good. It's that initially when the New 52 began, which was in 2011, those titles I don't think were that bad initially. Six months in, when we get into 2012, there was a lot of changes that happened on some, you know, as far as the art on some books. Uh, there were some creator changes almost immediately on some of the titles that happened after the first six months that 
really shook things up. And then the entire year of 2012, there was a lot of stuff that was really bad. Batman was probably the one book in some ways it's completely understandable as to how Scott Snyder flew to the top of the heap when it came to all the writers, DC comics, because the majority of stuff that was being produced the same time he was being, he was producing stuff was not even close to just writing on par with him, not necessarily quality of the story, but just the writing quality wasn't to the same level. Uh, they gave a lot of artists the, you know, the ability to kind of take the reins of the writer chair for a while in 2012 as well. So in my defense, and I, I'm sure I speak for Ed in this as well, there was a lot of crap that existed within the New 52, but I don't think it was immediately when they first launched all of the books. Uh, my yeah, Yes, I agree with Dustin's statement. Also, my statement was also meant to encompass the world of Batman in the New 52, not just how it started. Yeah. You know? um, we got some really good stuff in Detective from Manipal and Buccioletto, mm-hmm. right? You know, we got. I, I agree with what you, what you say, Dustin, but I'm also going to disagree. With the fact that I think the reason Scott Snyder went to the top of the charts is because he's like a great writer and maybe the best writer ever born. I'm just showing that out there. Ever we born? We haven't talked about Snyder in like five days, so I had to like overdo it. It's fine. Um, oh my gosh. No, no, I'm joking. Um, no, but I, I think that he was just a naturally good writer. But I think that the fact that he was writing Batman in the New 52 and for a long time was the best in town, with the exception of Tomasi, which was doing something very different. But I think overall we got good stuff from a majority of the books. Even Catwoman had its time in the sun in the New 52. Yeah, I mean, after that, right. it had that god-awful run with the milk and the all that weird stuff that was going on. Oh, it was so weird. It was just weird. And the Joker's daughter showed up, and there was a cat, and they were pouring milk on it. It was so weird. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember really reviewing remember that, that issue with you. <laughs> Oh man, thinking like, what is this? Is this supposed to be some sort of like, you know, is this some sort like some sexual metaphor that we're not comprehending? It was so so weird. Like, it really felt like you were watching something that you didn't have the right context to. Because I'm like, this couldn't have got approved because this literally doesn't make sense. Um, But even Catwoman got her time in the sun, and I think that every character, with maybe the exception of the Red Hood books, right, had really good parts to it. and I think if you look you know, at the end of the New 52, I think it was more good for Batman than bad, in, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Um, the other thing, too, is I think that on these really long posts, we should definitely let Stella read them because her voice is much more pleasant than yours, Dustin. Oh, thanks. I, I, I have no problem admitting that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to ask if I could, like, could I do this if I yes. promise not to use voices? Yes. No voices. Go right ahead. Okay. By all means, because I, because my, my voice sucks. I know that. Well, it's much more pleasant. Yeah, you sure. talk more than both of us in these episodes, anyways, because you lead. So, um, I will say that I think really we saw a, and and I think you know he wants to focus on the 2012. Um, but you know when Mark Doyle took over editing, I feel like there was just this change, like this fresh uh, breeze sort of came through, and and I think bat books were just at the height of. Um, I don't know, respectability, readability, and, and enjoyment level, which I uh, really enjoyed. Um, and, and he mentions Identity Crisis and Infinite Crisis, you know, just the fact, like sort of the the beginning of the darkness. And those are two stories, especially Identi- Identity Crisis, are two of my favorite, if that's one of my favorite stories. Um, and I think there, there are places for darkness. Um, I, I've never heard that, you know, DiDio 
that that was his plan all along to bring in the darkness that kind of frightens me a little bit um and yeah i i i don't know i still am cross-armed and impress me towards the whole thing and i just wonder you know what's going to happen with the characters that we've grown to really love like batgirl and um I, I will say they're they're not going to take away Batgirl um, for Oracle. I think they will reestablish that pass. It's funny I just talked about that this like three hours ago with somebody. Um, but I think Oracle is going to exist in some sense. Um, but at least it's going to be in her past. But since they went to such lengths to bring Barbara Gordon back as Batgirl, I don't think that they're going to take her away from Batgirl. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think I think. What it comes down to is that there's a lot of things that they intend on doing with these characters, but I think if you read that singular DC Universe Rebirth, it does come across as they're apologizing for what has happened. Um, I can understand to a degree Didio wanting to try to take these characters. You know, There's a lot of people who will make the, the argument that Marvel characters are more relatable to people than the DC characters because DC characters are put on such a high pedestal. Like Superman, he's basically the ultimate hero who has little to no weaknesses when you have all of these Marvel characters that have plenty of, you know, issues slash weaknesses and things like that. It's very difficult to even portray that in a film because man of steel. I mean, you have to basically have the character do things that are out of character just to make it more, uh, enjoyable to, I guess, some people, but you know, you have to have them kill because there's no other option. You have to have them do these things that you know you wouldn't see necessarily in the comics because that's not believable in today's world. So the thing is, like, it makes sense. Moving into the next one, Ian says, "Hey guys, I see that Stella's back to using her real name during the intro and send off. Yeah. Speaking of Stella, I was a little surprised by her reluctance to be optimistic regarding the rebirth direction. Normally, she drives much of the positive input. I'm like Dustin and never being satisfied with the 15 or 20 year time gap in the new 52. On to my question." Does the team think that the DC comic universe is going to be tying into the television and movie universes somehow? There were a lot of correlations or common elements between the Rebirth special and the season two finale of The Flash, which should somehow impact both the Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow next seasons. That's a good question. So there was a lot of rumors saying that there was that some of the comic series were going to tie more directly into with what was going on either in the films or the television stuff. I really didn't believe that in any at any point because I didn't really think it was feasible to say you should take the source material that is used for the media and then use become make the media the source material for the comics which is still supposed to be the source material. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, as far as what's going on at the end of uh, this, you know, the end of season two in the flash television series, there's definitely ramifications that will happen in the other series. I feel like maybe one of the ramifications is that uh, black canary is able to, to not be dead mm. because of that, because mm. otherwise I don't know why that character is dead in this in this universe, yeah. um, but I feel like there's a lot of different things. But that's not really Batman related. But as far as like dealing with, you know, the the TV stuff and movie stuff in the comics, I don't really think it it, it makes sense. I think in some ways they almost 
tried to do that already with certain things like reinventing Superman at the beginning of the New 52, but here we are at the end of the New 52, and they basically killed that Superman off and replaced him with the original classic version of Superman to begin with. So I think that I I don't think that it would be a smart idea to do that. I mean, I think there's definitely some really good elements from the television shows. I watch all of these shows, Arrow's, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash, Supergirl. I watch all these shows, so I think there's, there's definitely great elements from the shows, but I don't feel like the show should ever dictate what should happen in the in the in the comics ever. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think it will. I think when they talk about the things tying together, to me that's just saying uh if there's a John Diggle and Arrow, he's gonna be in the Arrow comic book. I don't think they'll ever you know what I'm saying? Like truly relate. I think that they'd be idiots not to publish more Supergirl stuff when Supergirl's doing well and on television. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you have Suicide Squad coming out and you just ignore it and don't do a bunch of special Suicide Squad stuff, you're just you're wasting. Let's face it, the the movie of Suicide Squad or Batman versus Superman will have more money for marketing than DC Comics will spend advertising their comic books for 20 years, right? So if you aren't going to piggyback on some of this, you're just that that's just foolhardy. Um, but yeah, I I don't think they'll ever relate. I think that you might see subject matter that more closely aligns. Um, but I don't think they're late. I, I do think that the oh, – let me rephrase that. I hope that the Flashpoint on from that they do on, on Flash Season 2, which it is Flashpoint. Like it's, it's maybe their version, but that's absolutely Flashpoint. Um, I hope it does have ramifications throughout the universe because if we can get lucky, they could bring um, Laurel back from the dead and, and kill Felicity, and then I would be happy. <laughs> kill Felicity? I can't stand her character. It a thousand me. fans, a thousand listeners just like probably gave you the middle finger. Yes, I, I agree. That's probably I agree. That's probably um, one of those possible outcomes. I I do agree with you though that I think um, if this does change continuity with Arrow, that bringing Dinah back and like shifting away from fandom, because I think that's really what you know Felicity and Oliver were, which I I'm a fan of that. But and getting back to sort of the the natural uh, order of things, I think is, is something that they'll do. And and what deeply resonates with me is the fact that Dinah said, you know, I may not be my, I may not be your true love, but you will always be mine, or, or something like that. So I yeah. think that'll be there. Uh, and uh, Ian, just uh, I, I'm sorry that I wasn't as positive in the last one. I do try to be the more uplifting influence. Uh, <laughs> Of my two co-hosts, um, it, it comes from a state of self-preservation. Mm. Uh, DC New 52 hurt me greatly, um, especially with Batgirl, if you guys remember. I mean, there was like that long soliloquy I put out there about how hurt I was So with the characterization. So I'm kind of like trying to protect myself. So if I put up a wall and it's more like doubting and like you need to prove me wrong first, then I will be better protected rather than going in with hopes and then them being dashed. So that's what there's, that's coming from. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I, I think the, the, the main thing is, I think, I think some people were thrown off because our next comment, uh, I think probably has more to do with your reaction. So go ahead, oh. read Mark's comment. Yeah, and I just before I go on to that, I do have to say I understand where you're coming from about uh, the TV show influencing the the comic because that's something actually that Marvel has done. They've led uh, let the Marvel Agents of Shield bleed out, and now you know it has its own comic with those characters in there. I don't see that as being a trend that DC would go to, so I I agree with us in there. Okay. 
the next one is from Mark. I was a little surprised at the reaction to Rebirth on your podcast. It has been universally adored. I do get the worry about the planning around the story from here on out. Here's an article that may shed some light on the planning. It looks like they have a long-term plan. The, the, the link that he provided for the article is from Midtown Comics. I went through, clicked the article, I, I read the article, and unfortunately I, I'm not real sure I understand the comment, Mark, your comment in general. Um, we, I don't think it, we universally as a podcast said that DC Universe Rebirth was bad. It did get four out of five batterings. Um, Stella said she was op- she was uh, you know cautious about what was going to come. And mm-hmm. I think Ed and I both said that we were re- really looking forward to what was going to happen with Rebirth. We were both we really both really liked the issue. I don't think you know I don't think that uh, the majority of the podcasts had said that they didn't like Rebirth. Um, so I'm confused by that, but I'm even more confused because the article that you that you linked to um, was not a news article. It was an editorial of someone basically saying their thoughts on Rebirth and how Rebirth was so great, but in nowhere does it say anything about how they have factual proof that DC is planning long-term for you know, years and years and years or the foreseeable future or whatever. So I'm confused because I read through the entire article trying to make the connection to what you were referring to. And I unfortunately was unable to, to, to really make the connection. So maybe uh, if you leave a new comment, we can talk about it next episode as far as the concern or the, the, the direction that you were trying to get your comment across as. Also on a lighter note, every time they do something, they say they have a plan for it. I don't think, like, I've never had them go, well, so you guys got a plan? Like, nah, dude, we're just spitballing it. You know, sure. like, like they're always gonna be like, oh, yeah, yeah, when are you going to find out about it? Just watch. So tough, tough to believe people can say that. That's all. And then our uh, final comment comes from Bob. Hey, guys. Always pleasant when I get alerted to a new episode of the Comic Cast. Unrelated. This week, I finally got my hands on one of the books I always hear in people's top ten, but I hadn't seen yet. Black Mirror. Wow, what an intense and well-layered book. This is like a Lynchian level uh, this is like a Lynchian level thriller, a story that would make a great film regardless of its bat component. Awesome to read a story utilizing much more of the bat family. I didn't realize how far back Snyder's reach stretched into the bat mythos, but stories like this help solidify his earning a place in one of the top bat storytellers. <laughs> Bob, you're clearly influenced by Ed. Smart boy. Uh, Maybe it's Ed respelled, B-O-B. I followed up this reading with Gates of Gotham, another just insanely cleverly composed story shedding light on a very interesting era of bat mythology and, more importantly, Gotham's history. It also takes that opportunity to use some steampunkish imagery in a Batman story without it feeling forced or relegating it to Elseworlds. Just wanted to say that it's worth taking the time to look these older stories up, especially since right now some people's take on DCU current trajectory or recent history might leave them feeling confused slash betrayed slash annoyed. If that's you, reach back a bit and be very entertained. Yes, so a couple of of real quick comments. Uh, First thing is when you say these older stories, it's funny because Black Mirror's fairly current. Um, that Seven years was, old with it. Six years old. Yeah, I mean, okay, Something six like years old. But we're talking like the the you know the seventy five or plus years 
of Batman's existence. Six years really isn't that long ago. But anyway, um, Black Mirror, yes, as we've said before, great story. Um, Gates of Gotham, I think, is, in, in my mind, I have always really enjoyed that story. I wouldn't put it up there as far as great as great as uh, Black Mirror, but I definitely think it's one of the most underrated series, mostly because of the, the weird timing that it came out. Um, the last issue released right before the New 52 started, um, and for the it was like five or six issues, I want to say. I know it was at least five. I can't remember if it was six, but it, it came out in a very peculiar time because there was a lot of talk about New 52 happening um, during that but it kind of just kind of happened and anything that was coming out of that title was not going to get carried over into the other book. It's also the only book that you could have seen black bat appear um, mm. in a major role. Um, mm. But it was definitely a good story. And it, and it was one of those stories where it, it adds to the history of Gotham. It was definitely in some ways kind of hinting at how there was this ancient history within Gotham City kind of dealing with the Court of Owls before the Court of Owls was actually introduced uh, during the New 52. But um, Gates of Gotham, in my mind, great, great series, definitely underrated. Yeah, and I think Bob's points here about Snyder being one of the most prolific Batman writers of all time is right on point. Ed, Bob has a good point. Well 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 I don't even know why Ed needs to say that. We should just like we should change Ed's, Ed's image to Snyder oh, rocks or you you know, something like that. Get a T-shirt. Uh, yeah, I will say. Well, first of all, Lynchian. In case no one knows that, um, there's a f- filmmaker, David Lynch. So it's in. in Reference to that, yeah, yeah. but um, they are. They, I just saw that they are resoliciting Gates of Gotham, uh, like a new trade paperback. So you know, mm. for anyone out there uh, with that, and I also just want to say to Bob um, the fact that you know he said if if you're feeling bad about it, you know, reach back a bit and, and you can find something. And that's certainly uh, with you know a group of friends I have. Find your joy is sort of the the catchphrase there. And you know, if you're not happy with what you're reading now, there's always stuff that you can read um that's just wonderful and, and we can always give you recommendations so that was very wise of you to say and and i hope words that that people live by in this new era that we're about to enter to yeah and that's definitely the truth i mean that like like i said earlier there's over 75 years worth of stuff that has released from the batman universe um mm-hmm. so if if what is happening right now is not your cup of tea there's definitely Plenty of places you can pick up back issues or trade paperbacks of older stories and get into the Batman universe, even if this is not your cup of tea right now. Mm-hmm. There's always something out there that you can find that will probably, you know, link. And if you've got questions and you, you know, you're you are listening to the podcast and saying, you know, I don't pick up any of the comics right now, but what I really enjoy is this type of story. Leave us a comment and let us know, and we'll try to, you know, help you figure out a you know uh, a bat story that you know kind of falls within that theme or tone of what you're looking for um if if what's happening right now you know that's currently coming out month to month is not is definitely not something you're not you're not interested in so we'd be more than happy to help you out with that so that's all of our listener q a's as always be sure to head over to the website to leave your comments on this episode and then we will cover your comments on the next episode i did this again but uh what I forgot to say it again in the beginning of the episode, but I guess now I'll just 
put it in at this point in time. We are still looking for funds. Um, we are fundraising uh, to raise funds for the server cost increases that we currently have on the website. Uh, if you head over to the website, look at the uh, sidebar on the right side of the screen. There is a section that says TBU server cost drive. We are asking you to help TBU out by donating whatever you can, uh, specifically if you are not picking up some of the comics because our detailed synopses are helping you out and you, you've just decided that we are too good for you to save some money, maybe you can help us out by suggesting or by donating your funds that you would normally purchase comics with uh, by donating them to TBU. Uh, we are currently sitting at just over 30% uh, funded. Um, but uh, we're, our goal is to try to hit that goal by the end of the summer, try to get 100% funded before the end of the summer. Um, but it, anything helps, whether it be $5, whether it be you know $10, $20, anything helps to support TBU. Um, we're also trying to work out a couple of other unique things uh, coming up in the next couple of months uh, regarding unedited versions of the comic cast, early release mm. dates, and things like that. Um, so... If you are interested in potentially being um, a supporter of specifically the comic cast because you are a huge fan and you don't necessarily listen to some of the other ones, we do have some things in the pipeline to uh, reward, per se, the people who are listening to the comic cast who are help support us more directly. Um, but we'll work out the details in a, at a later date. We are literally in the process of trying to figure this out as we speak. We're using this new program, um, and hopefully it works out and we can... <laughs> if you are listening to this, then in fact the new program works. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but if uh, we're, we're using a new program that uh, hopefully will allow us to use, to utilize a, a, a couple of different avenues uh, to potentially help us raise some funds and have some added bonus out there for fans who can't get enough of TBU. So with that, I also want to remind you to head over to the website for all kinds of news related to Batman movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer, whether it be Batgirl Oracle, the Batman Universe podcast, um, Bat fans, Bruce Wayne's World, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. There's tons of podcasts that we offer on the website, so we implore you to check out all of the other podcasts, check out all of the content, check out all the reviews. We are reviewing tons of books every single week with uh, DC Universe Rebirth happening and Rebirth as an event happening in general. We're reviewing more books than ever before over on the website, so be sure to check out those reviews, comment on them, start a discussion with the you know the guys and gals who are writing those reviews, and you know get the conversation going. We we love to see the community get built from just the content that we're creating. So with that, also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, uh, specifically YouTube, because we're going to start doing a little bit more than we've done in a couple of years. We're going to start doing a little bit um, more things on YouTube. Um, so that's, that's what we have. Also leave us reviews in iTunes and be sure to leave your comments on the website for this episode. We will be back in a total of three weeks because we have five Wednesdays in the month of June. Um, so with that, be looking out for us at the beginning of July. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Stella. And this is Ed. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks.